0: Well, again, good morning, church family. Uh, As most of you know, uh, today we are once again going to be in the book of Jude. And so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles and turn there with me. Uh, Today is week four of our journey, uh, walking through this short letter. And so for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, or for others of you who just need a refresher, uh, here's where we've been so far. Uh, Jude opens up this letter by informing us of our identity in Christ. He says that for those who trust Jesus as Lord, they are called, they are loved, and they are kept by God. And there is such great comfort and assurance in that. And then once Jude defines for us who we are, he then moves right into our purpose. And that purpose is simple, but yet extremely important. That is, that we all have an urgent call, a responsibility to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to all of the saints, that we are to protect the gospel and to fight for the truth. And we see that Jude gives us the, the why for this as well. He says that, that certain people have, have crept in unnoticed into the gathering, that they had, they had come into uh, the church, and unfortunately, uh, they were spreading false teaching. They were claiming to be Christians, but they were really uh, not at all. Uh, they were living against God and his ways. They were taking advantage of the grace of God, and they were denying the lordship of Of Jesus and so because of that Jude gives us this this push he gives us this this message that we must contend because this is serious business and there are severe consequences for those who are teaching falsely leading people astray and for those who follow them well uh, that then brings us to our, our time together today And we're actually going to be working through verses 17 through 23 together. Uh, We're actually going to finish up the book of Jude uh, next week. Uh, But in this section of scripture that we're going to be looking at today, we're going to see Jude sort of unpack this call to contend for the faith that he gave us in the beginning of this letter. In other words, uh, we're going to see Jude provide us with a lot of detail as to how we can stand firm in the gospel. It's almost like Jude uh, takes us into his garage, you know, opens up uh, his toolbox, and he sort of pulls out all these different ways uh, that we can be helped in the work of contending. And so that's where we're headed today. Uh, We've discussed this idea a little bit each week, Uh, But today, uh, much more deeply, we're going to look at the question, uh, how do we contend for the faith? And so let's jump into this text together. Uh, Why don't you read it along with me, starting in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. Well, we'll stop there. Uh, And from this this section, these three verses, uh, I believe Jude provides us with the first answer to our question. So how do we contend for the faith? Uh, Well, number one, I believe Jude says, we recognize and we remember. You want to contend for the faith? Recognize and remember. Remember. And the scriptures continually ask us to do this, uh, and Jude gives us that same call here uh, to recognize, to remember. And you see that right from the start of verse 17. He says, but you must remember, right? Can't it be more clear than that. Uh, and remember what? Well, it says next, uh, it says the predictions of the apostles, uh, now, it's worth stating uh, that when the, the Bible speaks of remembering, understand that it's, that it's quite different than what I typically think uh, we think about when we use that word. Right? It's not like um, remembering where I placed my lost keys uh, or remembering someone's name uh, after you first met them. Uh, when the scriptures speak of remembering, it's more like uh, a deep meditation. Uh, it's, it's a rootedness of, of some truth that then goes on to inform how we live our lives. And we see, for example, in, in Deuteronomy 15.15, 15, it says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you that is why I give you this command today. And so you see, it's out of our identity that God calls and commands us to operate. Remembering who we are informs us how to live. So Jude says, "I want you to remember the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ." And then that prediction is quoted there in verse 18. He says, uh Remember what the apostles said. That's, that's these individuals who were given a, a unique call, a unique role. Uh, role. These, these individuals who had seen the risen Jesus and were commissioned by Jesus. Jude says, I want you to remember what they wrote and what they said so that you'll understand the situation that you're in and what to do. Well, then in verse 18, uh, there's this prediction of the last times and the time that we find ourselves in. He says that there will be scoffers, and this is actually meant to be an encouragement to us. You see, uh, it, it, been, it might have been a, a surprise uh, to, to the people in the church that there, were, that there was false teaching inside of the gathering, or, or even that God allowed that. And yet we know from here that this is not a surprise at all to God. And therefore, we can be encouraged because we can trust God is sovereignly working even through our opposition. And even though we may find challenges in our faith. And then Jude continues here uh, with this concern, uh, with his concern with the false teachers, that they are misrepresenting Christ with their words and with their deeds. And, and this is the same set of people that he's been describing all throughout his letter. Uh, but then he just adds one more description of them, uh, if it hasn't already been bad enough. He says that they, again, they are scoffers. Uh, and scoffing, it means to mock. And so what Jude is saying here is that these false teachers who had crept into the church, these people are are mocking God by claiming to follow him in word, but denying him in deed, uh, denying him in their actions, that we are to remember uh, that this will be a reality of the church. And so inspired by God. The apostles predicted this, so let's not be surprised by it, uh, and let's also be prepared for it. Uh, Well, then Jude moves on, and he goes beyond these false teachers themselves uh, to begin to look at the the fruit, or you could say the result of their false teachings and their way of living. And so with this, I believe there is a call to recognize these fruits. Uh, Recognize these fruits, and Jude does this by giving us a a threefold description, and you might have noticed that Jude does this a lot, actually. But especially in in this section, uh, Jude has a tendency to work in threes, and so he shows us here what comes or what's a result of this scoffing. Look at verse nineteen: the fruit is that they cause division. That they are worldly minded, and that they are devoid of the Spirit. Well, looking first then at, at scoffing that causes division, uh, let's remember the context here again is, is inside or within the church. And so these divisions that Jude is referring to, they are not ones taking place outside or really even between different gatherings, right? The the division Jude is referring to here is happening within the same body, in the same gathering. There is, uh, in other words, a a defined lack of unity amongst the people who are gathered together uh, because of these false teachers and their false teaching. Uh, Now, uh, you can see this in the text, that that Jew doesn't say exactly what the division was. Uh, But in the larger context of this letter, it it certainly could have been related to the teachings surrounding uh, cheap grace or the lordship of Christ. Uh, But of course, it isn't limited to those issues either, right? Many things can divide us. Uh, just read the other New Testament letters uh, and you'll see in places like the Book of Acts or Galatians or, or Romans or the letters to Corinth that there was often a strong pull towards all sorts of division within the church. Uh, but certainly uh, that should never be the case with us, right? Uh, what, what, uh, when it happens in our world, uh, that should not surprise us. At all. In fact, uh, in many ways, I'm not sure uh, we've ever been this divided in our world, right? Just look look through your Facebook feed or watch any news channel for five minutes and you'll see that. Uh, But we should never expect this within the church. Uh, Now, it should be noted uh, that the beauty of the church is that we are so diverse, right? God has brought together young and old different backgrounds, different races, different colors, and different cultures. But because of that, right, there is this, in, uh, what, what is kind of inherent to the church, there's this danger almost built in that if we try to be unified in our own strength, then we too will certainly be as divided as the world around us. And let's us also understand that God is glorified greatly in our unity amidst our diversity, that through the unity of the church, he actually displays his glory and wisdom to the world. And so we need to to recognize spirits of division and, and strive to pursue unity even when it's really hard. Well, uh, the second fruit uh, fruit that Jude highlights of these scoffers is that they are worldly people, or you could say uh, they're worldly-minded. It could be translated that way as well, worldly-minded. This is what what the Apostle Paul describes, actually, in Romans 8, uh, verses 7 through 8. He says this, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. And this uh, worldly mindedness, uh, what does that look like in in practice? Uh, Well, it could be simply prioritizing things of the world uh, over and above the things of God. You know, maybe it's putting our money or or putting our influence or putting our, our status above our pursuit of holiness or our devotion to the Lord. Uh, But it could also look like doing good things for the wrong reasons. And that was the problem of the religious people of Jesus' day, like the Pharisees, right? They were were doing good, but they were doing good merely for the purpose of being seen by others. Or, Or maybe it's praying for things selfishly, like it says in James chapter 4, verse 3, that we ask God for things solely for the purpose of using what God gives us for ourselves. And so we must be aware or, or recognize worldly mindedness to fight against it. And then third, Jude describes these scoffers as devoid or entirely lacking the spirit. And this is just a further indication that these false teachers are not true believers uh, because they don't have the spirit of God in them. And because they don't have the spirit within them, they don't have the desire to do God's will, nor do they have the ability to do God's will. The lack of the spirit it is, what often, is what often is called in the scriptures or referred to as living according to the flesh. Uh, we see this in Galatians chapter five, verse 16 and 17. are going back to the apostle Paul. He says this, So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And as we, as we talk about this, uh, I think it's helpful to sort of step back and think about the work of the Spirit so that we can rightly understand what it means to be devoid or, or lacking the Spirit. Um, I, I will say though, uh, the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, really demands its own teaching series. I think that would be a really a really good one, a really fun one for us to go through in, in the future. Um, there's so much about the Spirit that I believe most people don't really even understand. Uh, But for our context today, uh, let me just briefly share part of the role or the work of the Holy Spirit. We see in John's gospel, uh, it is the Spirit that gives us life. It is the Spirit that convicts the world of sin. And it is the Spirit that guides us, the believers, into truth. In Romans, we see that we are to be led by the Spirit, that the Spirit uh, testifies uh, in our hearts of our adoption as sons and daughters, which then gives us assurance that we can go or we can approach God. In 1 Corinthians, it says that followers of Christ, they are washed, they are sanctified, and they are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit indwells us. Uh, the Holy Spirit empowers us, and the Holy Spirit gives each of us gifts to serve and edify one another. And we are called to live in the Spirit, to rejoice in the Spirit, to love in the Spirit, to pray in the Spirit, and to be filled continuously over and over and over again with the Holy Spirit. And so because all of this, we should be able to see when a person is lacking or devoid of the Spirit— Because they won't be shaped by scripture or shaped by the testimony that the Spirit gives to Christ, right? They will lack the fruits of the Spirit. And so the big application uh, with this first point for us today is to simply ask ourselves, what is the fruit of my faith? What is the fruit of my faith? Not that you're going to be perfect tomorrow or even even next week or next month or, or next year, but is the trajectory of your life, is it growing towards holiness and Christ likeness? Are you moving away from worldly mindedness and towards having the mind of Christ? And to evaluate this properly, certainly we need to seek the Lord. And along with that, we need to be sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is telling us about how we're living our life. Uh, but let me also encourage you to bring in counsel to your life as well. You know, because here is what I know, even in my own experience, is that we don't often see ourselves rightly, either for good uh, or for bad. We have a tendency to think too highly of ourselves, or for some of you, you think too too lowly of yourself. And so we need others. We need other believers whom we love and whom we trust to be able to speak into our lives. And of course, as we do this, or or as we allow this counsel, uh, understand the caution as well, is that in doing this, you actually may find yourself uh, to be a scoffer, that maybe you tend to be divisive. Uh, Maybe you tend to lean towards worldly mindedness. And dare I say, for some of us, Maybe we discover through this seeking, trying to listen to the Holy Spirit, that we are really lacking the Spirit of God. And if that's you today, uh, consider it God's mercy that you are listening to Jude's words here today. And then know that at any given point, you can respond to the gospel by repenting of your sins and turning to the Lord Jesus Christ Today, you can move from from death to life. Uh, You can move from from lacking the Spirit to being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You can move from being an enemy of God to a member of his family, from fruitless to fruitful. And I pray uh, each of us listening here today has made that choice. And so that's our our first section uh, today. If we want to contend for the faith, uh, we are to recognize and to remember And second, how does Jude advise us to contend for the faith? Number two, we are to keep ourselves in the love of God, he says. We are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And we see this in verses 20 through 21. So let's read that together. Jude says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So Jude now shifts our attention inward so that we may consider our relationship with God and not just focus on the potential flaws of others. Uh, One commentator said it this way. I like this. He says, it's insufficient for believers to only attack the false teachers. They must also take positive steps to continue in the love of God, or their own love for God will slowly wither away. Love for God cannot thrive when believers devote all of their attention to the deficiency of others. They must continue to grow spiritually themselves. And so with this mind, uh, Jude shifts the conversation from this outward fight uh, against our opposition to how we might go about strengthening ourselves in the love of God. You know, I I really appreciate that before Jude uh, shows us how to keep ourselves in the love of God, uh, he reminds us for the third time, actually, that we are uh, the beloved. We are beloved. We are loved by God. He just once again reminds us of our, of our standing before God and the reality of God's incredible grace. And just like in verse 2, we see here that the whole counsel of God, the whole Trinitarian nature of God is connected to that identity. Uh, because the Holy Spirit, God, uh, that is the Father, and Jesus are all mentioned here in these verses. And so again, I'm so thankful for that reminder of who I am, uh, that I am loved by him. And then notice something else very important to this text. Uh, The command here is to build yourselves up and to keep yourselves in the love of God. And so understand this here, this is an inescapable command to do this together. In other words, uh, we can't and we are not meant to do this uh, alone. You know, in the New Testament, There are over 50 imperatives that follow this one another function that tell us to things like uh, we must care for one another, to love one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to, to bear with one another. And it is all a plural function, meaning that we, again, cannot follow these things alone. You see, the Bible does not adhere to the the modern secular mindset of individualism, right? That so many of us are accustomed to, right? We are meant to be intimately connected to one another. And this is all by God's design. That we are made for community. We're made for communion with God and with others. And that's true even of the most uh, introverted person in the room. We need one another to help build each other up. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In other words, again, this is inherently what what we're doing here. This is inherently a social business that God is calling us into and calling us to do. And so even in this season that we're, we're currently in, have been in for the past like two and a half months, like this whole church online thing. Right? I know that in many ways, uh, this, is, this is really convenient. Uh, you can stay at home, uh, you can stay in your PJs, you can eat some food as you watch, uh, but understand, um, actually this is not ideal, and this is not ex- exactly what God intended the church to be. Right? We are meant to be together, uh, worshiping together, listening to the teachings of God's word, uh, together, serving one another, together, building each, uh, each other up, together. Uh, now, uh, in, back to our Jude text, uh, it's, it's hard to see all that's going on here in English. Uh, but in Greek, uh, we, we see the verbs here have different tenses. And that the main imperative of this sentence is to keep, uh, to keep. And then uh, it has along with it three supporting verbs, uh, which are actions. And that is to pray, uh, to build, and to wait. To pray, to build, and to wait. And so what Judas is saying here is that we keep ourselves in the love of God by building one another up by praying in the Spirit and by waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it's another set of three, and so let's, let's look at those. Uh, this, this building up ourselves in the most holy faith uh, calls to mind Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 through 22. We've read a, a bit of Paul today. We're going to go back to him here. Paul writes this Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, but on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so we see there that, that God is the one who is building. Yet at the same time, we have encouragement over and over again to build up ourselves. And, and this is a common call throughout the scriptures. Romans fifteen two says, Each of us should please our neighbors for, uh, for their good. To what? To build them up. And in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11, we read this, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So we again, we are called and encouraged to join one another and to join God to build up. And how do we do that? Well, uh, we point one another to the to the truth that we see there in our Ephesians two passage that we just read that we we look to the person and we look to the work of Jesus Christ as we know uh, or as we discover in the scriptures right as the cornerstone of our faith. We use the scriptures to inform us of who God is and who we are and to know how we can be made right with God and how we can live life best Paul says this almost exactly in Acts chapter 20 verse 32 he says now i commit to god, uh, now i commit you to god excuse me and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified again we we build ourselves up by pointing each other back to christ whom we know through scripture We build up by encouraging one another to live faithful and holy lives. We point each other to the truths of scripture, uh, which helps us to identify and graciously correct when we may be believing something or or feeling something that's false. We, We remind each other of the gospel and help apply the gospel to and in our real lives And we do this frequently and consistently. And so that's building ourselves up. Well, Jude then says we are also, uh, uh, or how can we keep ourselves in the love of God? How do we do that? He says by praying in the Spirit. By praying in the Spirit. Now, we know that prayer is fundamentally a conversation with God. It's speaking to and hearing from God in the context of a restored relationship with him that comes from faith in Christ. And I, I think it's, it's really easy, actually, to get tripped up on this phrase, uh, praying in the Spirit, as if it's something like extraordinary, something unusual, uh, something that's apart or unique from other parts of prayer. But in reality, all of our lives, and, and we know all of our prayers, are, are and should be done in the Holy Spirit, right? We are indwelt by the Spirit. And so if a person uh, has the Holy Spirit, right, this is just our new norm. It's who we are and what we do. We pray with and alongside of the Holy Spirit because he is indwelling in us. And that's important for us to understand because actually this specific phrase is oftentimes used uh, as a way uh, to advocate uh, for, for speaking in tongues. Uh, which is one way to pray that we see uh, in the New Testament. And while I do believe, uh, my conviction is that uh, the gifts of the, the Holy Spirit are still active today, uh, including speaking in tongues. Uh, provided that it's governed by the instructions and guidelines that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. Uh, but that being said, uh, I, I don't see a good good case for this verse here in Jude uh, speaking primarily or even specifically about that kind of prayer. It seems clear that what Jude is, is saying here is that we need to be consistently praying prayers that are, are enabled by and with the Holy Spirit, which again, uh, should be all of our prayers, right? Romans chapter 8, verse 26 through 27 says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God, God's people, in accordance with the will of God. And and so part of praying in the Spirit is praying God-minded prayers as opposed to worldly-minded prayers. Which I believe uh, fits the context of Jude and what he's trying to communicate to us uh, very well. And so, so he is saying, Jude's saying, don't pray with arrogance or with a focus on self gratification or self glorification, but rather uh, pray with humility before God. Focus on his will when you pray and focus on his glory. So uh, to keep ourselves in the love of God. We must pray in the Spirit. And then the third way, according to Jude, uh, that we keep ourselves in the love of God, is to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So, uh, the action for us here is to wait. To wait. And understand, this is not uh, an unemotional, uh, passive waiting it's not like waiting for the bus right or waiting for the laundry to be done uh this is more like an like an active uh a, a vigilant waiting it's sort of like a like a watchman you can picture this like a watchman uh looking over the city all right looking out for for danger and so so Jude says that we are to wait uh, as a means of keeping ourselves in the love of God but what are we waiting for Uh, Well, he tells us we're waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. It is the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And and this is the future hope of Christianity. That on that final day, all of those who have placed their trust in Jesus Christ will rise with him for eternal life. Uh, We see this in John chapter 6 verse 40. For my Father's will, this is Jesus speaking, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. And this this is eternal life. It is a mercy because it is undeserved. And this is why we call it the grace of God or the gift of God as Jude calls it earlier. It's the good news uh, that should never get old to us that Jesus who was himself God came from heaven as a man to live a perfect life, to die a death that our sin deserved, to, to rise again from the grave to prove his divinity and to usher in victory over Satan, sin, and death, all that we, uh, all so that we might have forgiveness of sins and be reconciled back to God. And so, so as we watch and as we look forward to this future reality with God, we wait actively and what does that look like? Uh, well, it, it looks like meditating on the hope that we have and al- allowing these things that are true of us uh, in Christ to shape our current present reality. As we look forward and, and see this incredible victory promised, right, we can have strength to continue to fight the good fight that we are in right now and to, to run our race uh, to the very end, to finish strong. Right? I, might, I might sound like a broken record. I feel like I say something very similar every week. But, but again, we, we do this by remembering the gospel every single day and applying the gospel uh, to our lives. And as we grow in that, as we grow in our understanding of, of the gospel, Our lives should be increasingly marked uh, by a deepened awareness of our sin and our need for a Savior, as well as God's love and all that we have obtained in Jesus Christ. The gospel impacts every single aspect of our lives. And so as we reflect on and apply the gospel to our lives, uh, we know that we will grow closer to him and keep ourselves in His love, So to contend for the faith, we must keep ourselves in the love of God. And then finally, Jude tells us that if we want to contend for the faith, we must have mercy on others. We must have mercy on others. Look at verse 22 through 23. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To show to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And so this is our outward-oriented behavior, if you will. This is this is others focused, it's love-motivated, it's it's an active showing of mercy. And we must see, and I believe Jude does this on purpose. That the mercy that we show to others is directly tied to the mercy that we have received from God. Recall in verse 2 that he prays, Jude prays, that mercy, love, and peace would be multiplied to us in Christ. And now from, from that supply of mercy, we are then able to go out and to show mercy to others. And we see this type of structure a, a lot of different times and a lot of different ways in the New Testament. But I'll just give you a couple examples. In, in John chapter 13, verse 34, we see this. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Or Romans 15, 7. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Or 1 John 4, 11, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so this shows us the pattern we must have: that we must receive the love of God, we must receive forgiveness, we must receive mercy, we must receive grace. Uh, we must see uh, see all of these things in. Christ before we are going to be able to do that outwardly to others. Uh, And and we cannot say uh, that we have mercy uh, without acting in mercy towards others. And so that said, uh, we can see now here again, Jude uses this this three-part breakdown here he shows us uh, how we are to relate to these different categories of people in different ways using what we have received. And so he mentions uh, three categories, those who doubt, uh, those who are in the fire, and those who he describes as wearing uh, filthy garments that are uh, stained by the flesh. Now, Uh, most scholars agree from the context of of the letter here that the people that Jude is referring to here are those that have been impacted by these false teachers. And so let's talk about each of them in turn. First, we see again, we have those who doubt. And Jude's instruction to us is simply this, to have mercy on them, have mercy on them, which is show them compassion and, and show them care. And so this means uh, that, that when someone shares a doubt with you, or when, when someone shares a doubt with me, that we are not, not meant to belittle them or chastise them for having that doubt. You know, um, every Christian I've ever met uh, has, has doubted uh, some part of their faith at one time or another in their life, like every single one. And we see this uh, even in some of the disciples who walked with Jesus and and saw the risen the risen Jesus. And so again, I believe this is just a reminder to us uh, that the presence of doubt in another believer's life is not an excuse to be harsh to them or to cast them out, right? but but rather to be merciful, to show compassion and to be, sympathetic and understanding and don't don't misunderstand me here um this is this is also not to say that we we're just supposed to leave people uh, in their doubt right no not at all we we help them back to the truth uh, we guide them back we, we we bear with them patiently helping them to see the the places that they might be be disconnected from in scripture and again we do that in love we do that with mercy. Then we turn to the second category, the second category. It's those who are in or, or near the fire, Jude says. In the, call, in the call here from Jude, it's an interesting one. He says to save them or literally to, to snatch them out. That is, that is not to say uh, that, that we come alongside or we rescue those or, I'm sorry, that is to say that we, we come alongside or we rescue those who are experiencing the pain of their sin. Right? This is the progression here. Uh, this is an urgent call to, to partner with God in seeing people saved. And I know that the, this is a really strong imagery used here, but it's a really hopeful picture to us. Uh, because what this means is that while a sinner is alive, while a person has breath, even when they're in their sin, there is an invitation for them to turn and to put their trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ in the cross. It means, this, this, this text means, that, that there is hope for that family member that you've been praying for for years, uh, that there is hope for that friend that you, that you have in your life who's, who's totally removed from the things of the Lord. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul. He's a, he's a persecutor of Christians. He hated Jesus, and yet we know that even he was not out of the reach of God, and, and no one ever is. And because of that, there is an urgency here for everyone who is called, everyone who is loved, and everyone who is kept to share the good news and to spread the seeds of of the gospel. And then there's this third category. Jude says that there are those who are wearing garments stained by the flesh. This is actually a reference to a text in Zechariah chapter three. And so I encourage you to go look that up. We don't have time to, to dive into all of that today. Actually, a lot of this text here today refers back to Zechariah chapter three. But but the filthy garments here represent our sin. And they are stained by the flesh, which represents our state without God and without his cleansing forgiveness. And this is the most severe person here. Uh, At this point, uh, these people actually might be false teachers themselves, or at the very least, they are fully committed. They've given themselves totally to false teachers and the false teaching, and yet, and yet... How does Jude tell us to relate to them? What does he say? With mercy. With mercy. And so, we should be merciful to people at all times, in all different circumstances. That's who God calls us to be. We are to be merciful people. And in this category, though, we, we do see uh, two other helpful conditions. First, he Jude tells us, sort of like a warning, he says... We are to show mercy uh, with fear, with fear. And that doesn't mean that we cower. That doesn't mean that we're scared in front of these people. It means uh, that we are to revere God as we're being merciful to these people. That we are to be aware of the severity of how dangerous this, this false teaching and this false living can be. Galatians 6, 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Again, be merciful, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. So again, show mercy, but believers are also to be aware of how easily we might fall into the exact same sin as the person that we're trying to restore. And to understand that if it happened to them, it's certainly possible for us to be led astray as well. We are to do this with fear. And then adding to that, Jude says that we show mercy, or as we show mercy, we are to hate the garment that is stained by the flesh. And that's what we mean, maybe some of you have heard this before, this phrase. Uh, We are to hate the sin but love the sinner. That's what Jude is saying here. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. So hate is never to be directed towards a person, but to the sin that they have fallen in and to the effects of their sin. And so what that might look like, uh, just to kind of get an imagery of this, it might look like just sitting down with a person and saying, like, brother or sister, uh, your sin is hurting you. Understand that and understand that it's it's hurting me. I'm grieved by it. And I'm telling you this uh, to try to help you. I'm telling you this because I love you. And then then after that, continue to demonstrate that love. Continue to demonstrate that mercy to that person. I really like how Pastor David Helm, uh, he's actually a council member uh, for an organization called the Gospel Coalition. I think he sums this section of of the scriptures up really well. He says this. I'll read it to you. He says, Jesus, the high priest, came to build and to show mercy. So don't merely endure sinners. You are here in God's place to save them. Don't merely put up with the world. Snatch some from the fires of hell. Don't think that contending for the faith means telling unrepentant sinners that God hates them, but rather have mercy even on them. Contend for the faith by conducting yourselves with grace and become the mercy of God in the world. And so church family, I'll close this way. By encouraging you to remember who you are as God's beloved and to operate, live your life out of that identity. Be aware of and recognize scoffing and its fruits. Keep yourselves in the love of God by striving to build one another up in the faith. Pray in the spirit and with one another in the spirit. Keep your eyes on Jesus and help others Uh, keep their focus on him the same, and then show mercy, show mercy, even as we have received mercy from God. Would you pray with me?